Hello and welcome to The Swim Brief. I am Chris DeSantis and I am joined, as I frequently am, by the deputy, deputy water whisperer himself, Joel Rawlings. Joel, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Are you enjoying your new title, Deputy Water Whisperer? I'm going to grow into it, I hope, someday. That, that'll, be a, that'll be an awesome resume material for me. Well, hopefully grow into it before you die, all right? Just, you know. Yeah. That's how they recognize everyone. You got to wait until they're dead. And you're like, you know, he wasn't that bad of a guy. You know what? Joel actually knew a few things. Well, and they'll have this podcast to listen to. These podcasts are forever, which is something I remind you of all the time because it, it takes the pressure off, you know, when you're thinking about, do I sound like a complete idiot on this podcast? It's just good to remind people that, you know, this will be recorded for posterity and yeah, yeah. Be on the internet and it'll just be there forever. Yeah, idiocy forever. That's what we're going for. Yeah. <laughs> so today's podcast, we're going to talk about a couple things. Um, first, we're going to give the people what they want. We're going to talk about Summer Macintosh. Um, you know, especially also so I can make a title for this podcast that's like, why is Summer Macintosh great? And, you know, that'll get twice as many people to listen to it or maybe 10 times as many people to listen to it. And yeah. Um, <laughs> then we we suck them in with the title and then you know they're listening to us uh talk over a 400 im maybe you're watching the youtube version of this i've got her 400 im world record queued up and uh you and i were texting back a little sorry we're going to do that and then we're going to talk about positive communication setting up a season uh within your team and i'm gonna i'm gonna give some of my suggestions in that respect and i i, I hope and expect that you will chime in as well so let's let's get into watching this um, 400 IM because you and I texted back and forth a bit as we are wont to do in the last moments before we realize that we have to record another podcast. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I said, you know, what's like, you know, give me your very small, short take on Summer Macintosh. And what I I'm going to paraphrase what you said back to me, which was basically it seemed like. You know, Summer Macintosh is when you look at the way she swims, there's not like one big standout thing. It's that she does a lot of things pretty, pretty well. Right. To basically yeah, without. So I, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I boil it down even simpler now because I've had time to refine it down to two words. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Well coached. There you go. Well coached. Oh, let's talk about. So let's talk about why she's well coached. Um, and and as I said, I'm for the YouTube version of this. I'm going to pull up some footage um, and run a bit of footage that I got yeah. from uh, Social Kick, actually another podcast uh, that appears to have a video of the 400 IM um, that uh, that has 56,000 views on YouTube. So um, we're going to piggyback off of that and show some of the video and, and give them credit where where credit is due um, and, and, and talk about some of the things that you're seeing that make you boil it down to well coached. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There we go. So where, I mean, just as I cue this video up, where do you start with that? You know, um, I guess while we're waiting here for a second, I, I was thinking about like, and this is a different angle. I saw the one on swim swam, which is a lower flatter angle. So it, I didn't get as much, detail as this will be so it'll, it'll be a lot more interesting i think to watch this version because the, the first one i watched a couple of times and I, I thought about you know getting the tempo watch out and stuff but what i thought is like when i was ever in a at a swim meet watching kids swim it was like i hated having my watch on where i was like sitting there watching the whole time 
my, the numbers go by and kind of missing the swim. And, and the first thing I'm kind of looking at her swim is just the flow of that stroke and the insane tempo that it is. Well, not insane, obviously she can do it. So it, it's a possibility. Right. And that's, that's the cool thing is, is when you see these elite athletes, the realms of possibility, the, the idea that, you know, again, here's a person who's, um, you know, just doing something that's pretty unique as far as the tempo goes. You look at the cycle rate, how quick it is. Uh, but when I'm looking at a swim, especially on the start of this, the I am and the fly, you're kind of looking for like how much of this is going to be wasted movement, how much of it is good, like, I don't know, a better word for it than connection or engagement with the water, where they're, they're holding the water. So that, that mystical kind of feel for the water is going to be different for each person. Again, these are other obviously elite level athletes that she's racing against. And so um, what I'm interested in is the cadence and the tempo that each person has in their stroke. And I always kind of wonder how much of, of human gait is just natural. How much of it is trained into an efficient movement uh, that, you know, you're kind of trying to tie in heart rate, breathing, but also making, making sure that you have contact with the water. You're not over swimming that race. And you see already she's pulled ahead of everyone. And on this pause that you have right here, that the butterfly on her stroke is moving forward so well. Um, you see the right. splash, the splash pattern is striking and it's moving forward. And so what I'm thinking here is kind of like that idea of like a skipping stone. The idea of like her center of buoyancy up her chest is, is just kind of bouncing on the water, rebounding off the water. So it's kind of loading, unloading, loading, unloading energy. And right now we've paused it again so that the, the center of buoyancy is down. The center of mass is slightly elevated above that, but that connection from the spine, the lower back muscles, uh, all those deep internal core muscles through kind of keeping that pressure going down. And so you think about it, kind of how she's striking the water. It's kind of like a landing area from armpits to chin area where she's hitting the water and then rebounding against the water. And so it's kind of again loading up energy into that center of buoyancy. And then as that rebounds back up, the center of mass drives into it. So it's not so much like kicking forward. Is kind of like bouncing and, and keep on pushing that that ball forward. And, and the thing that really struck out, struck me, is kind of reminded me a lot of like Summer Sanders back in the day. So that's you know the old school swimming. <laughs> is on her, is on her breath. You can see how that line length doesn't really change. She stays. That's a great stopping point right there. Yeah. Um, it would be and so obviously if you're just listening to the podcast, the idea is just watching how she swims. If you look at the back of her neck to the top of her head. Um, usually at, at a point in the fly, like this, people start getting fatigued, that line increases. And so that, that I guess we call it like a break in the line or that bend in the line where um, they get the air coming in. It, it shortens the line length so much that the stroke starts to drop in the water. They start landing the water right. harder. So I said like two, three cycles back, how she's like a skipping stone. At this point, if all of a sudden she's kind of pushing the chin forward and the neck is, in a sense, that broken line, Line length shortens, drag is going to increase because drag is, is going to be diffused across the line length. But also what will happen on that is the balance shifts backwards. Thinking again, that center buoyancy that she's bouncing on is also kind of the teeter point of that, that line. And so by bringing the head position up and back, usually what happens is the swimmer actually starts to fall down in the water. The hips start to go. And it looks, if you're just kind of watching a race and you're thinking about kind of like old paradigm of like, you know, leg propulsion, things like that. It looks like they're losing their kick. But a lot of times what's happened is actually they, they started tipping back too much on that line and is putting too much pressure on the kick. And so because even on her breath, 
she's staying so far forward over that um, that that tipping point. That tipping point again being the center of buoyancy in the lungs. Every stroke is just lunging forward and accelerating forward rather than dropping down in the water. So again, it's like it'd be like comparing a, a stone skipping across the water versus just dropping a stone in the water. And, and the splash signature kind of shows that too. A skipping stone, obviously, it looks a lot different than like a bowling ball falling into a pool. Uh, yeah. and, and so, again, she just maintains this tempo so well. And I think, again, because she's able to keep her line length and keep balanced and keep um, basically, especially that line length from, I would say, like from the ears until the shoulders, the, the distance from there, I think, is really key for her. Yeah, I, I I went back on the video and stopped a little bit because I I noticed something as you were talking about um, summer swimming. I mean, it's always worth it to watch a real race versus somebody race in isolation because the first time that I watched this, yeah. I was just focused on summer, right? And um, I actually like, for instance, this butterfly. I think you know, if swimming were like a judged sport, like diving, I'm not sure this butterfly would get a ten out of ten. I'd probably give it like a seven or eight out of ten. In, watched in isolation, like it, it can look a little bit stiff. Um, like there's not like that fluidity of movement. But when you yeah. watch the other swimmers in the race with her, the you you like it completely changes that. For me, it completely changed that impression because I went, oh right. my god, they're they're stopping at so many mo moments and she's not. So it, you know, my mind is telling me like, oh, it's stiff, it's stiff, it's stiff. And then I watch somebody else swimming and I go, oh, no, 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 no. This is flowing. Like this is actually, right. there's actually a, is an economy of movement, I think. Um, exactly. That's that a good reference for here, right? In, in terms of what she's putting into it. And I, I, I went back on the video a little bit because we got some um, freeze right. frames and some other people breathing. And you can see the difference in terms yeah. of like <clears throat> how, how they, in order to breathe, they have pulled their head just like far more out of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, alignment with the rest of their spine in order to complete that. And then the downstream of that is that they're, they're, the rest of what they're doing, just the connection is kind of broken through, through the body. So you, it makes it a lot harder for them to keep transferring energy um, from one exactly. part of the stroke to the other one. and Right, and, and that's a great point you difference. stopped on right there. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the woman in the white cap uh, above on the screen, um, it, again, as soon as she's breathing like this, the, the head is, is tilted back a little bit, and you see how all of a sudden just that moment crushes the tempo. And with, with any kind of a distance swim, and a 400 IM kind of a distance swim, uh, the maintenance of the cycle rate is, is going to be key. You know, you think about it in, in the sport of cycling, for instance, they have a cadence they try to set up, and they try to maintain that cadence. And, and that's like, again, to keep the heart rate low and keep the lactate production from you know, spiking up too much. I, again, she's able to keep the cycle rate going. And um, the backstroke as she went into this, I, I really, I saw her previous swim where she was just off the record. And I really love, again, the economy of motion and, and how she seems to have great contact with the water. Um, and I really thought that if anything, that for her to get faster is gonna be on the breaststroke end, because I think, um, Compared to like, if you look at uh, Hose's um, record swim, like the breaststroke was the biggest difference. Um, but in her backstroke, I mean, this is the one she actually picked up a lot of ground on from her previous swim. 
And as I was watching this, I had a different angle on my first watch. But if you watch on the second 50, something goes on a little bit, I think, with the left arm. And, and all of a sudden, like, I think in about eight more strokes from this here, all of a sudden it kind of just that there's a little bit of a wave that kind of comes into the stroke and a little bit of a bounce that comes into the stroke where she just kind of starts to lose a bit of contact with the water. Um, and so, again, you know, she's going so so fast. It's like you can't, you know. You know, picking nits here as far as looking for little things that go. But again, you see the uh, you, you see the splash and the character of that changes and that kind of bounce that comes into it. Um, mm -hmm. And what I've always thought about with within the IM is anytime they're going from short axis to long axis, is there's a there's a change in the nervous system. Obviously, you're going from the short axis where you're driving that uh, center buoyancy is the energy engine of the stroke. You know that up and down motion and the driving with the center of mass behind that. Um, and that's what I, I think is the cool thing about the short axis strokes. As we mentioned earlier, that breath also, because it's the breathing is going to throw off. I mean, just the amount of oxygen you have in your lungs is going to change, you know, where you're floating in the water, but also how your breathing is going to change on, on how that weight is distributed. So it's so easy to everything to fall apart. And then you go on from that into a long axis stroke, especially flipping over on your back where the vestibular system is going to be challenged. Usually you see like on that fly to back, that first 25 meters is, is kind of where things fall apart for people. Uh, but she was able to maintain that really well. And that's why I kind of go back to the, you know, well-coached you know, as, as being the main principle. Uh, well, so going on so let me ask you, I'm sorry, let me ask you about yeah. that. It's my job to stop this train every now yeah, and then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And force you to fast. offload some passengers. Um, but, you know, what makes you say, and by the way, you should mention Brent Arkey is her coach down in, down in Sarasota. Um, so she represents Canada internationally. As I understand it, um, COVID was something that prompted her to go down to Sarasota in the first place to train because it was just nigh impossible to practice um, in Canada during COVID. Um, so she was sort of one of those uh, Florida refugees, swimming refugees, you know, that uh, went down to train in Florida and she just really hit it off um, with Coach Arkey down there um, and decided that that was the place where she just wanted to train full time. Um, so what makes you say, you know, sometimes I think people who um, are, you know, swim really well, um, as you say, like have a good feel for the water, I, that stuff can get associated with well, that's just like, you know, that's just a great athlete. Like, you know, coaching doesn't have that much to do with it. What are you seeing in the way that she's swimming that goes, okay, this is, yes, this is a great athlete. This is somebody with exceptional ability, but there's been some coaching that has influenced what she's doing. Um, the, the things that kind of right away, I was thinking that with, with on the butterfly, like you said, usually I think like, especially for I am that they're more of a kind of a flowing kind of stroke looking kind of at the lower back is, is kind of a transmission point to that wave. So from the top, you know, of like the sternum down to the hip, you get a flowing motion through that. And, and she's, you know, it, it doesn't flow like it normally I, I would think of in a four I am, um, but she's able to stay so balanced. And so that I think is, is a, obviously her feel for the water and able to kind of go, but obviously that comes a lot from training and doing like long course meter swims where you keep on doing that repetition of learning how to be the most economical with, with, with that, that motion. Um, and, right. and that's, that's the thing is obviously there's moments within that training program where, where she's able to kind of 
feel that alignment, feeling that balance and, and feeling that happening. So it's not just, Hey, let's just go grind. And then whatever comes out of this lane is, is going to be what we're going to race with. It, it's like there, there's actual intention put into a lot of their swims. And so I think a lot of the, what you're saying with the feel that goes back to like, you know, what's going on six, seven, eight years old, you know, and that's why, you know, age group coaches are so valuable as far as creating those opportunities for learning these things that, that you really can't see, you know, when, when it's the final product, but you can see it if it wasn't taken care of, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the shadows that, that kind of come from like uh, bad experiences in the water. So uh, the, it, 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 everything in swimming, I think is built around that breathing pattern, especially again, we talk about, um, you know, short axis strokes, everything's built around that breathing pattern. So if, if there's a, like, if there's something that they haven't learned early on, it's like building something on, on clay. It's, it's going to come apart at some point. And for her to be able to like, kind of stay balanced like she does, it's just, just amazing. Um, yeah. But yeah, you just see everything, the turns, everything is so, so well done. Yeah. And I, I mean, I remember the first time that I had heard of her and it was at the 2021 Olympics. I think she was in a preliminary heat of, the 400 with Ledecky. And so I was watching, um, I was watching the race and just, you know, there was like a 14 year old girl from Canada that was just out yeah. there winging it with Katie Ledecky yeah. in the prelims of the Olympic. And I was like, who is that? And, um, you know, she, she just was, um, you can tell, I, I would urge everybody go back and watch some of the footage of summer mcintosh swimming in the 2020 21 olympics she was an exceptional swimmer even at that time but you can see a lot of progress since then so you know like right. I, I think that's probably the easiest way i might explain well coached is just like i i i believe that for an athlete to make progress like that you know it, that's very 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 hard to do in isolation, you know, you, it's, somebody helps you do that. Right. And it's obvious that somebody has really, really helped her in that time go from, you know, being a, an exceptional 14, I think she's 14 at that time, maybe, maybe just turned 15, um, um, exceptional 14 year old to, you know, continuing, like she's on a normal progression actually for a swimmer that age. It's just, um, her a normal exception from where she was. Yeah. Yeah. Her, her progression was to 425 in the 400 IM. Um, right. And that is, that is rare, obviously. Um, in fact, it's only been done once. Uh, I, I think that, one of the things too, is what you're saying about this is, is you kind of, if we take the time out of that, take that as to world record swim out of this equation. And I think so many coaches are, are caught into the uh, outcome where this is fast, therefore everything here is good, you know, right. you know, and versus the, well, what is good? You know, what are the mechanisms in there that are good? What are the processes that are going on that we can get? Again, I'm not going to, I'll never coach a kid that can go this fast, but what are some of the things that we can take away from this? And that's why I'm kind of pointing out the idea of that, you know, using your center buoyancy like that, using your line length like that to, and, and again, trying to create that economy of motion and again, you can have all sorts of different strokes. There's no perfect stroke design, except when it comes to each individual athlete. I mean, everyone's forearm length is going to be different. So their ability to hold the wire is going to be different. I see like, I'll scroll through some of the social media feeds. They'll be like, you know, some clinic, we're going to show you the exact angle that you're supposed to hold the water. It's like, well, yeah, whatever athlete that you highlighted, 
that's the angle you're supposed to do. I remember when I swam, when I was really young, um, you know, Shane Gould, what was, you know, she had these, these film loops that our swim coach would show us. And she had like a two beat and a four beat crossover kick. And you, you probably haven't heard of the crossover kick because it wasn't a real thing. But what, but coach is like, oh, well, this is what made her great. She had a four yeah. beat crossover kick. And yeah, let's so teach everybody to do a crossover kick now. And I couldn't do it. It freaking drove me out of the sport for a while. You know, I'm just like, well, I can't be any good. I can't do that. And right. I, the cool thing is I got to meet Shane years later. And she was like, yeah, that's, I have no idea. That was something that kind of, when I switched training groups, that was something that I introduced because, you know, I was told to do X, Y, and Z and I couldn't do that. And that was like an outcome. So it was more like an outcome versus what the actual cause of her going fast was. And so the same thing here, if we, we kind of break down the idea, like what are some things that the mere mortals can take away from this swim it is again, just, just how she's able to stay so balanced, keep her tempo going. Um, when we went into um, looking at her strokes like this, again, the, the gait pattern, I, I always kind of wonder, like, is this just an offshoot of what she naturally is, you know, versus right. is this something that's been trained into a certain level? So like, do we have like a, a certain gait that we are just born with and we can go plus or minus 10% of that? Or is that something that's really trainable to the point where obviously you get a swim that's incredible like this? Yeah, I mean, I even watched this again. I watched this freestyle and watched in isolation. It it can look a little short and choppy, and you know, like not. It's not aesthetically exactly what you know. What I don't know. What you I, would? I love uh, it though. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I me think too. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, I, it's like it's not winning the. Um, aesthetics contest, but yeah, maybe yeah, it yeah. should be winning the aesthetics contest. Is I kind of like the argument I'm trying to make here. I'm trying not to sound like okay. I'm I'm negative about it. Um, I you can just like it's probably one of the best illustrations I would say of the parts of it that look choppy. You can see yeah. that when her hand enters the water, like she's doing something. Like and her whole she's she's got everything chained from the hips outwards and we talked with uh juka shamaka about that like she's got all the muscles engaged in right doing right. what she's doing when she when she when that hand hits the water like she is absolutely ripping um what and she's I, doing what it I think at, of is like for a, hard for a whole hundred at the end of a 400 am yeah is is um i i was on a flight and so i watched the movie uh was it ford versus ferrari is like one of those Matt Damon movie kind of things. And the idea of like the Ferrari being like an aesthetically beautiful car and, you know, the Ford Mustang just being just its power. And so when I'm looking at, at this swim, uh, we didn't really talk much about the breaststroke, but the same thing here is like she comes really pretty high out of the water. But it, again, that first stroke off the wall, she gets a little bit high, but then she balances out pretty quick. But again, that, that height, it's so hard to get that high out of the water that it takes a lot of energy, but it kind of creates that potential energy where she's up pretty tall above, above her center of mass that when she drives forward, she gets a lot of power into that stroke and she's able to get a lot of distance to the stroke because of how she's able to drive off the hip. So it's not like her kick doing the damage. Kind of like we talked about the fly. It's not the kick doing the damage so much as what she's able to do from the hips of, of using that as like a platform to dive off of and spring into the next stroke. And again, watching the freestyle, 
watching again at the hips and the lower back up on top of the water. I mean, again, she's got such a great line in the water that every little impulse of energy is putting into that stroke. Like you said, it's like, you know, it's like a street fight. Every, every, every bit of energy is going into a punch. You know, it's not going into stabilizing. It's not going into holding above water. It's going into momentum towards that wall. And that's why I think it's, it's pretty exciting to watch. And so the first time I watched it, I think it's like, we talked about it on our last podcast, the idea to see these NBA guys, they're like, you know, 12th off the bench, like what a stiff. And you see them in real life. They're like, this is the fastest, most agile human being I've ever seen. And right. they're just one of them. Again, so you watch this first race, you're like, oh, it's, it's a good looking swim. And then you realize, oh my gosh, these are all elite level athletes that she's just destroying and how fast she's going. And then it becomes like, what's going on here? Right. Right. Every single person I would gather that she raced in that final at Canadian Nationals is somebody who has been swimming competitively probably for over a decade and has devoted their lives at this point full time to training for swimming competitions. Right. Right. And they're exceptional athletes and um, they are they are doing workouts like you would not believe. And somehow she is. Yeah, she's winning by a lot in that race. Um, yeah. And so it's it's worth doing. Um, I I uh, again, um, credit to credit to her, um, credit to her coach. Uh, Brent Arkey, I even want to give credit to Canada. I, I do. I'm kind of impressed. I'm, I'm a Canadian swimming hater. I think um, I've given them a hard time. Just like I give everybody a hard time. At this point, I should just admit I give everybody a hard yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of my thing. You're a crotchety but, East Coast dude. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I'm just a crotchety. I'm just, I'm just you know, I'm just born with that old man get off my lawn energy. Um, and uh, I don't need, didn't need to grow into it. So what I will say about Canada is, though, when you look at Canada, a country that has invested a lot in their like swimming infrastructure within the country, right? They have high performance centers and they're paying coaches to coach at the high performance center. And they're trying to like build stuff. The fact that they just sort of went like, Oh, well, summer's happy training in Sarasota. Great. Cool. Like, and there wasn't, as far as I can tell, there wasn't some high pressure campaign within Canada to go like, well, we got to get her back, you know, training in Toronto or whatever. And it just said like, Hey, here's a teenage kid who seems to be real happy swimming down in Florida. Why don't we just let her be happy and see what happens. Well, and I'm this glad is what I'm you the get. Counterbalance. I'm the counterbalance to you. Cause I love Canadian swimming. I think the past couple <laughs> Olympics, they've been amazing how much they've been doing and how much they've been progressing. And I remember, you know, this is way back, you know, in, in the nineties, when I coached at, at, at Texas Christian university, um, we would get, we would recruit Canadians all the time and, and just loved working with them. And so I got to kind of, you know, I didn't really know much about the system and the carding system and things like that. And just how, how their system has been evolving and how much they seem to really uh, invest in the coaches, I, I think is, is just amazing. And I, I'm, I like watching what they're doing on the international level. And I like what watching what they're doing at the Olympic level for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's been pretty cool what they've been doing in the past I'm sure much farther than eight years, but I'm just thinking in my recent memory, the past eight years have been pretty spectacular. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with you. There were some really lean years for Canadian swimming, especially sure. the years that I started paying attention. I mean, I started paying attention in the late nineties and then into the two thousands. If you look back, those were not the good years. Those were not uh, Victor Davis and Mark Tewksbury years. Those were like, 
um, Curtis Maiden maybe making it, you know, contending for a medal or something. Maybe Marianne uh, Limpert, you know, get making her way in there. But there was a lot of really lean years there for Canada. And right, this is not a fluke. Um, they have been swimming very well internationally for a country their size where nobody basically gets to swim outdoors, <laughs> right? Which is the, the, yeah. the real fun part. Um, they, uh, they've been doing extremely well. I, I, yeah. I, I totally agree. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's pivot to talk about uh, season long communication. And, and you gave me this prompt and what it made me think of yeah. is um in the last season that I uh, coached at, at Wahoo, so this is the season starting in uh, September 2022, I have been working over the years on answering some of what you asked, which is like, how do you sort of set up some things communication-wise? Um, and I think probably people are thinking about this because they're transitioning to long course. You have an opportunity to uh, reset the deck a little bit, or maybe you're already looking towards, um, you know, using some of this time period to think about how you're going to introduce uh, the season that starts for a lot of people in August, September of this year. So I thought I, I would actually, I pulled up my document. I have it in the background. I'm going to read some pieces of it uh, and just sort of explain some of what I end up um, thinking around this because, and of course I, I've navigated away from the window Oh, it's because I made the uh, I made the big summer Macintosh video. So the idea with some of this is, um, you know, of course, this is a document. It's about two pages. I um, I sent it out, you know, in emails. Do you really did I really believe that uh, a lot of the parents of kids that I coach or kids that I coach would sit down and carefully read two pages of something I sent in email? Absolutely not. And um, this was actually. One of the big takeaways I had from um, your fellow Wisconsinite, Brent Bach, um, watching him present at the Galveston Coaches Clinic, because I thought the core of one of the big core things I took away from listening to Brent is that he had communicated, in my opinion, at least the, from listening to his presentation, it sounded as if he had communicated really positively um, with the swimmers and parents and everybody involved coaches on his team um, that he had purposefully set stuff up, you know, and I could tell like the progression that he had worked through to get to some of the places he was uh, right now. He communicated positive values so that people always had an idea, even if there wasn't, you know, a specific rule written going, you know, you should cheer for, if you're on the A relay, you should cheer for the B relay. I don't think he has that written out somewhere, but people know that right. know that they're going to do that because other stuff has been communicated like, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to cheer for everybody on the team or um, right. we, we're going to lift this piece of it. I, I, I can't even paraphrase what he did. And it'd be, maybe, maybe we can get Brent on here and get him uh, to open up, maybe not. Um, <laughs> but I think where, where I'm, where I'm headed with that is, um, I asked him, I said, Hey, what is your preferred mode of communicating all of this? Right. Cause you know, we hear, like we think about, oh, we're going to send emails. Are we going to, 
hold a meeting or we're going to say something at practice. Um, there's, I know there's people who've used podcasting, right. To communicate. And I, I did think about that because when I was coaching on the team, there were swimmers that I coached that listened to the podcast. Um, so, you know, I was like making these with the idea that somebody that I coached would actually listen to it. You know, what do I want to put into it? And he said to me, he said, honestly, person to person. So, you know, what I focus on is are my in-person interactions with the coaches that I've hired, the swimmers that I've coached, and the parents of people that, you know, the parents of swimmers that I've coached. And by just staying focused on that piece of it, where people are most likely to actually hear you, um, then, you know, that that is that lays the groundwork for everything else so i say like hey hey i wrote all this out i sent it in an email but really for me it was less about sending it out in an email or i also we had a kickoff meeting at the beginning of the year with parents where i got to um communicate some of this to them but really the idea is get yourself organized around what you want to communicate so that when you're in those one-to-one -one interactions when you're in those like conversations with people you're not coming up with it on the fly, right? You have an idea somewhere of what it is. So that's my long preamble into it. Um, some of the stuff. So let me, let me, do you have any questions before I start based on all the things no, I just said? <laughs> no, I think it's good. I, I think definitely like what you said is like Elmbrook Swim Club in Wisconsin. If you're, if you ever want to watch how things are done really well, I think that's, that's the one to go to. And kind of the idea that you're getting there is not so much like you're going to get laden down with rules so much as you, you're, you're kind of principle driven. You know, we, we do these right. things because we're good people. We do this, this because we're good people. And kind of also what you're saying with the idea of emails is parents are always like, you know, I don't have time. I don't have this, this. But taking those moments that you can at least have that face to face time with with the parent. So when they read the email, I think a lot of times we, 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 whatever our emotion is going into that email is the emotion we're going to get out of that email. You know, so if I go in thinking, you know, Chris is crotchety, I'm going to be like, this email is Chris being even more crotchety versus like, right. I've seen him. He actually does care about my child. And, and hopefully like, again, they, they do pause where if they, they misread something, they'll ask a follow-up question to it. But it is, it's hard to like get people down. And I think one of the things like you're saying is the idea that, if you have at least the idea where you're at of what you want to start to communicate at a certain point in the season, if you have this list that you're kind of going to go into that every chance that you get to see a parent, you kind of just get in there and give them like two, three seconds, just, just again, so that they know your personality, they know the intention behind what you're doing is, is positive. And that if there is a question, they can come to you. And so that again, if they hit something that might come off, like, is this him being sarcastic or being rude? Or is this just, this he didn't really type it as well as he could have, you know, uh, because right. again, speed is essential. If, if you, you know, a two, three page document, they're like, yeah, it's too much. I can't. Yeah. So, um, first, you know, uh, the, the, I wrote an introduction to this and that's a, your opportunity, I think, to broadly define, you know, for instance, this is for a specific group. So, you know, if people are joining this group, you want to give them an idea of like, what are they signing up for? We would talk about this all the time on Wahoos because um, we honestly, we had moments where we were like, we didn't do a very good job communicating this 
in the sense that there would be a kid who would find their way into, I had this, um, uh, what was called the high school group. And then eventually the senior group, it was the, uh, mainly high school age kids, some, some middle schoolers, um, and less training than our, our national squad and, and a bit, you know, like performance wise, it was, uh, lower than, than the national squad. And there are people who would sign up for it who like, I think part of the idea was we were a pathway for kids that hadn't just like focused on the sport of swimming from age eight onwards who, you know, wanted to swim and wanted to swim competitively. Um, and so we would get people in the group who had never, like I, I every year had kids in the group that had never swam year round. Right. That was, this is our first experience. And what, where I'm getting to is, and, and coach Jake would always say this, like, you know, there's some parent, like they have no idea what year round swimming or being in this group entails. And all of a sudden their kid has been signed up for the second highest group on one of the top swim clubs in America. And these practices are hard. Right. And you can see a kid just like their, their head is swirling. They're like, Oh, I thought I was, you know, I thought I was just going to come and, and swim back and forth a little bit. And, and now like we're doing, you know, 40, and um, I'm expected to keep moving. So just the idea of introduce to people like what, what it is they're, they're signing up for. And in that sense, I built this around saying this is a group for high school kids mainly. Um, and we're going to train to be good at swims at, at events that you race in high school swimming. Right. So even though we're not a high school swim team, you know, the focus will be that you could show up to your high school dual meet and coach could put you in any hundred of stroke, a 50, a hundred, 200 or a 500 free or a 200 IM, right. All the potential events that you could be doing in a high school uh, swim team that practice was designed to um, facilitate a transition between groups at Jersey Wahoo so that we had a national group that practiced more, um, that had harder practices, but that if you trained at the top end of this, then it was possible to transition from one to another. So give people um, something out on the other end to transition to. And then finally, that um, this is a group for kids that are in high school that first want to be on their high school swim teams and maybe practice with their high school swim teams. Um, and also for kids who want to do other sports, right? So this is actually a year round swimming option for, I had kids that ran cross country and track, I had kids that played volleyball, um, I had kids that played soccer. So kids who are playing other sports for their high school team, that this could be a place where you could do something with your swimming year round, but you didn't necessarily have to have swimming as the only thing you were doing. So letting people know um, on the front end, like who is this for, right? I think was an important part of communicating positively uh, to them on the, on the front end um, and establishing like, with the kids in the group, like, Hey, you're in the right place. This is, this is what this is. Um, and, and getting them to identify that they were in the right place, because I think, you know, if we go back to the summer Macintosh thing, you have somebody who 
you know, is thriving because she's identified, Hey, this is the place I want to be. This is not necessarily what I was always destined to. I didn't grow up in Sarasota, Florida. Right. But this is the place I want to be and I'm in the right place. And, um, and everything works from that point. So I think if, if I kind of boil it down, you kind of like basically the idea is you're communicating, you know, the present and then possibilities for future. And then also letting them know, that this is a good spot to be in. So the idea that right now, this is the expectations. This is where you're, where you're fitting in really well. These are the options you have on the program. And yeah, you could do, you know, mornings and afternoons. And that's not impossible because I think sometimes explaining to parents that aren't part of a swimming culture, like twice a day, that's ridiculous. Starting to do that, but also saying that it's okay to be where you're at. And I think that's the thing. Sometimes it gets overlooked. The idea we've talked about in the past of, um, never stopping for a moment and appreciating the accomplishment you're has like you're doing really well you're swimming two hours a night this is fantastic versus you know what what uh what the rest of the world is even doing i remember um at elmbrook swim club not to not to go back too much in this and please as much yeah yeah is is uh the previous coach um there he would every now and then stop and, and really comment on a 28, eight 50 yard freestyle swimmer and be like, you know what, you're going to do a great job on, uh, you know, you've got relay options when you get to high school, it's going to be great. And he's like, and he, he was from California originally. Well, he, he worked in California for a while and he would point out that, you know, to be a beach lifeguard, you know, to be able to do two, like be able to do a 202 minutes. That's the elite of the elite. And you're well beyond that. And so kind of the idea of like, Let's not always compare ourselves to Summer, or we, we once uh, talked about Surhoff years back, always comparing himself to Phelps. Is, is it, it's good where you're at. And so the idea that you're communicating, again, is you're good where you're at, you're doing well. If you want to do something this direction, you can. You can do something this direction, you can. But right now, you're, you're in a good spot and kind of opening that door. And, and the, the thought I have is, is the first question I would have as a coach, if I were starting a team up, is we've got our high school group because we need the cash, we need the revenue, we need a group someplace to go, and we need the elite group. What happens when you get the uh, six eight former eight basketball player comes in? He's all of a sudden just goes forty four in the hundred yard freestyle, you know, and he's doing that group. And meanwhile, you've got your national team over there, and those guys are like, "That's working for him. What? Why? Why am I over here? You know, twice a day every day, and I can't even go forty eight. Right. So what, what's the conversation like on that end, on the, on the other end too, when all of a sudden, you know, someone experiences success like that and, and you're like, how well, do you go, Hey, this is where you're supposed to be. I mean, we dealt with this even last year in this group because um, there was a swimmer who just did exceptionally. She, um, when I, when I started coaching it, she was a one Oh nine in yards, hundred butterfly. Um, and within 18 months, she went from that to a 57 and she qualified for futures, right? Which was something she was, she was training in this group and, um, I was less than half of our national squad had qualified for futures. So, you know, on a performance level, at least if you just took one event, she could say like, I'm better than half the kids in, um, the next group. Now we didn't really find. I, I think maybe maybe this could be this is a, a cultural piece to be studied and we could take this as a real positive. We didn't run into any kids that went, oh, well, that's working down there. I would like to join this group that had trained that trains less. I always found 
that kids within our culture always wanted to go up. And she very quickly um, wanted to go up and because she was doing the same math that I just did that that goes like, hey, I'm faster than half these kids. Why am I not up in that group? Um, and me being the curmudgeonly uh, old c- coach that I am, um, you know, I was pretty hard on her if if I'm if I'm being honest. I mean, I was pretty hard on her in the sense that um, I said, well, you know, it's not just about we had always established that it, it performance was a factor in what group you trained in, but that there were actually um, there were three there were three basic factors. Um, the first one being coachability. So, you know, this one was probably the most subjective, but the idea that um, you were somebody who would come to practice and be open to being coached, right? That you were, um, that when, you know, when you got information that helped that, that helped you to move forward in your swimming, that you were taking it on board, that you were trying things, that um, you were responsive, that you were giving information back, valuable feedback back to the coach about what you were trying to do. Um, and the second one being consistency in terms of attendance. So, you know, as you said, like one of the, one of the things that differentiated the different groups within the team, right. Was how, how often they practice. So if a kid, we had 10 hours of practice a week and the national squad, I think if you look at just the swimming piece, it was a jump to, I think, gosh, I, I, now I don't even remember off the top of my head, but it's probably somewhere between 16 and 18 hours of swimming. So one of the things I would say to any kid that said like, Hey, I would like to move this move up like this. I said, well, are you coming to all 10 hours of what we have? Because what, why do you think it's best for you to train 18 hours when you're not making it to 10 hours of training that you're being offered right now. Like, so, you know, like you're asking for more, but are you making full use of what you have right now? It's sort of like the basics of, you know, like, you know, your kid has a third of dinner left on their plate and they're like, I'm ready for seconds. You go, no, no, finish what you've already taken first. And then you can have seconds, right? You want more training then, then take on board what you've got and then performance as a third factor. So I said, like, no doubt you're there performance wise. Congratulations. Uh, I, I hope, you know, you're really proud of yourself for having done that. And um, but I was really, really hard on the other two factors because I said all of this has to be in place for you to move up. Um, and she did move up uh, over the summer, probably three or four months after achieving um, the qualifying time. And uh, she's made it, she made an awesome transition to the next group. Um, I would say she is above average in terms of attendance and consistency and coachability um, into that new group. So, you know, that was, I, I guess, probably a fourth subjective factor is like, Hey, you know, it's a slam dunk. If you can convince us that moving you up, will not only be the best for you, but will be the best for the team. Like you're going to make the team better by coming up there. Then that's an easy decision for us. And I think that's what happened in the end. Um, she's going to go swim at Johns Hopkins next year. So I'm, I'm, I'm super as just as her former coach, like I'm super excited 
because, you know, a 10900 butterflyer, I think probably she was not thinking about swimming in college and now she's going to be swimming at one of the best uh, colleges in America. So I think what I think one of the really important things that you brought up there and you just kind of threw it in at the end is also what it does for the team. I think sometimes as we're mentioning like the summer swim and things like that, we're always like so much outcome based, like this, this is a fast swim. Therefore everything is great. You know, this is the end of the season. You had a great end of the season meet. Therefore the season was great. Everything is always outcome and starting it off again when they're in your group where it's an introductory kind of a group in a sense, because they're coming rather late to the sport relative to other people. The idea of creating that outline of these are the criteria. Swimming fast is is part of the the, the outcome, but it's not one of the criteria for you know it, right. it, like what are the things leading up to that? So, like you said, again, how how coachable are they? And I think especially at an introductory level, you can start to you know l- let let the parents know that this is what we're looking to do. We're creating something long term. The idea that you're coachable, you're not an automaton, you're not a lap dog, you're someone that can take information processes it adapted again not just being obedient kind of the 80s model of just shut up and swim kind of a thing but then also adherence to the exercise program adherence and trainability are, are two, obviously it's the biggest component in any endurance sport or any any yeah. activity again if you want to get better you have to have for adaptation to occur there has to be adherence like that um what the individual needs also, again, there, there's a lot of things that go into all sports and also their whole life. And I think that's the part that I like when we talk is the idea that it's not just about, it can't just be about the exercise. It can't just be about the bout of training. It has to be about the recovery as well. And that recovery is based on what they're doing for the remaining 22 hours out of the day, sleep, eat, things like that. And how much of these other things impact one another? Is your training going to impact you to the point where you're no longer able to do, again, your other sport or have relationships or things like that? Or are these negative relationships impacting your trainability? And so the last part you brought up though at the end there, how does this help the team? And I think that's the big thing. That was like when I was a college coach, that was the part I would notice on some programs where kids just didn't have that. They're like, this is an individual sport. It's about what I'm going to do right. right now. And some kids, when they come out of a program, really excelled. And I think it's because they understood the, the, the bigger picture. They understood I'm a part of something bigger than just my swim right here. My swim, not just at the meet, impacts the outcome of the score. My swim, my energy impacts how other people swim at the meet, but also every day in practice. And, and that was what we always harped on on my program is the idea that everything you do bring in, you know, you can't always be like, I'm so excited to swim this morning. It's not going to happen. But if you're there, that's a big part. And if you're there and you can at least encourage someone else, even though you don't feel it, that's going to make everyone around you better. And then it becomes that ball rolling where again, you've got something going. And so when we take apart programs and we look apart at programs, you know, like this summer swim again, was anything spectacular? It was like lots of little things were, that was the space. You know, we're always looking for like, well, what's the one vitamin yeah. I need? Oh, more B12, more magnesium. We're, you know, we're <laughs> looking for the one thing, like what's the hack, what's the thing. And then you can put that on your trailer. It's the little things. Like you go to a program and all of a sudden the kids are there exactly like five minutes early and they're putting in lane lines and the coach hasn't said a thing yet. You're right. like, this obviously is amazing because what went into them just putting lane lines on in time is a daily thing. 
as soon as like as soon as something like that, there's no momentum for something like that to happen. That is a constant pushing that ball up the hill, and that coach behind it is is the the force behind. It. And those kids kind of interacting and having fun and talking with another. There's something going on behind that, and that's the thing I always kind of look at. Much like this, the swim we talked about today, or what are all these little things that just aren't natural that that right. you don't want to do, but they're doing, and they're figuring out a way to have fun with it. Or yeah, this is a this is another point. Um, this was actually made in a completely. You, you remind me of it as you talk about this. That that came out of the Houston Coaches Clinic. Julie Bachman, who um, the executive director of of Gulf Swimming you know, said to the group, we were about to get a presentation basically on um, on some business and, and negotiation skills for coaches. And one of the things she said is like, just so coaches understand, you guys are the best salesmen in the world. And, you know, like there's a little grumble in the crowd. And she said, no, seriously, like, do you understand you convince high school kids on a routine basis to get out of bed at four something in the morning and come over and do the hardest swim practice of their lives. Like that is a hard sales job, but you just sort of like you do it routinely over and over and over again. You convince kids that like, this is a good idea. You convince parents to spend money on that, right? Like at, when you just isolate it on its own, um, you know, I think it like coaches should feel empowered by this a little bit. Like you are really, um, you're really good. And this sort of leads me into the next section. Cause the next thing that I do is, and I think this is a missed opportunity in communicating a lot was, um, I just have short sections on all the people that are going to be coaching the group. Just introduce all the people that are going to be coaching the group. Because again, when you think about that scenario, I just said like, and, and you even think back to your own life, the moments where, you know, you did something that, if viewed in isolation seemed totally unpleasant, but you did it anyway, I bet you one of the biggest reasons you did it was the relationship you had with the person you were showing up to meet, you know, at the crack of dawn in the morning. And that's a coach, right? Coaches are, are what get people to, you know, show up to something, right? Coaches matter a lot. And I think, for myself, as I was back coaching this group, first, I knew every year there were going to be people who had no idea. They had no prior knowledge of me whatsoever. So I had a fresh slate to introduce myself, right? And just say like, hey, I'm Chris and this is who I am. And I'm going to be coaching your kid and have them get to know something about me. Um, and then I thought uh, over time that, you know, the, the assistant coaches I had, they were there part time. So they had less time to form relationships with kids, less time to form relationships with parents. They weren't, you know, communicating with parents really outside of, um, well, they weren't, they basically weren't responsible for communicating with parents. So parents didn't tend to know them. So I thought it was really important for them to say, for me to say like, and here's Kim, she's going to be coaching the group too. And here's a little something like to, to know about her. Um, because, you know, a lot of the problems that people run into, I think, could be solved by, you know, this is going to sound a little bit like, can't we all just get around a table and resolve our differences? But getting to know another person, that's, again, what I take out of what uh, Brent said is, you know, this this hard work of getting to know people and having them get to know you 
it goes a long way uh, to resolving a lot of differences and preventing a lot of situations where people are going to be communi communicating negatively. Because I think when people get to that space, it's they, they get there by filling in a lot of blanks. And if you can, if you can put information there instead of giving them a blank space to fill in, um, then they're going to be let, lost, less likely to get to that place where they're sending you, you know, an angry email that 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 just says like, you know, you did this and this and this and this and this, and you're terrible. And what are you going to do now? Um, so just be preemptive about introducing yourself, and I think it'll go a long way. And and yourself and and all the people that are going to be involved. Yeah, that sounds um, good. Yeah, yeah. And then we yeah. got into just some some basic expectations, and some of this we, we have been over already. So I guess I'm going to talk more thematically about what's presented in here, and that is going to be go back to some of what I talked about with that um, group group moving. But the idea of recognizing if you if you've already defined who the people are who are coming, and then you've defined who the people are. Who are going to be leading the training or whatever and then you want to start setting some expectations for what's going to happen when <clears throat> when everybody shows up um I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as i'm talking about how i want to phrase this piece of it but the the, the guiding principle was recognizing what do, what do the people who are showing up want to get out of it? And then those people that we introduce as coaches, what do they want to get out of it? And how much of that do we have in common? And where could we get together and recognize that, you know, some something that everybody wants is going to be best for the group and get people moving in that direction. Because I think, you know, again, you say like swimming can be viewed as an individual sport. So you can have people pulling in their own direction and they could be saying something like, well, why is it important that I come to practice? Right. Like, you know, it's just more, more lane space for everybody else if I'm not there, you know, and actually making an argument for people that not only is it going to be good for you, to come to practice. We want you to come to practice. Um, we have an expect, we've set things up that you're going to come to practice, right? So this whole thing is built around the idea that we make a, a positive assumption of you having signed up for this, that um, if this is, uh, if this is what you're doing as a year round sport, that, you're going to come to all the practices that are offered because that's, you know, that's, that's what we think is best and we want the best for you. And that's going to, what's going to lead for lead to the results that you want. If you're somebody that is, for instance, playing another sport that you're going to be, you know, open in communication and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to be at soccer on Wednesdays, but you can count on me to be here all the other days or, you know, I'm going to have these conflicts here and there, <coughs> but, Otherwise, I'm going to be here and introduce instead of uh, in this expectations, instead of introducing a bunch of scenarios where it's like, do this or else the idea being, here's what it looks like 
to be an excellent member of this group and 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 actually sell people on a positive vision of what happens when they do that right so that if you come up to these standards you're going to have an even better experience right the baseline experience if you are all over the place and you miss some stuff and you're a human being and this it's going to be great but guess what if you do all the things um, that are sort of the highest standard of this group, life's going to be even better than that. And so um, introducing the stuff that I think would be best for a swimmer in the group that the other coaches would think would be best, the stuff that, you know, you want people to do in the course of the practice, but essentially selling it to them as like, this is good for you. If you follow this versus I think we, we can, you can often get into like with an expectation section, a sort of negative framing of like, do this or else there will be consequences, right? right. right? Negative things will even be even worse. And implicitly you're going like, things aren't that great in the first place, but they could be worse, <laughs> which is not so a very kind of creating, vision. Creating more like what options are versus a, this or that kind of, if, again, I think that's one thing that as a swim coach I've done in the past where I kind of almost like trying to save so much time by like, well, I'm just assuming that everyone here is to get faster. You know, that, again, it, it's more than likely, but again, it's, it's not a hundred percent and it's good to find out exactly what, what, what are you trying to get out of this? Um, right. And from that starts to go, well, well, these are some possibilities, you know, again, that if you do X, Y, and Z, that this could be, this could be, this could be, but again, it's, it's not setting a goal for them. It's not, saying that it's this or this or else kind of thing. But also I think not having that fear of going, it's okay to not be a part of this program too. <laughs> you know, the, these are the expectations we have. And it's, you know, uh, as my wife said, when I, when I uh, wanted to pick up golf once and she said, well, that's great. Then we can just get divorced now rather than having <laughs> to get divorced later is, is the same thing here. It's like, it's better to get the divorce early when you still like each other, you know, right. Then, then all of a sudden this kid's been on your team for a year and has been miserable and, you know, possibly like just, just not, you know, you're not seeing the best side of that individual because they don't want to be there or their expectations weren't this. Uh, so again, just taking that extra couple of minutes of laying out what your expectations are for your program. And that program might just be like, listen, if you're here 15 minutes, we want 15 minutes of positivity. We want 15 minutes of energy. We want 15 minutes of all out. And then yeah. that's all we want from you. If you can provide that, great. Or whatever your expectations are. I just see that out there just for the hell of it. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example of it. Like one of the things that I, I get, I'm paraphrasing in here, but I have, I cover the idea of, you know, like skill and stroke instruction. And one of them, the ways I set that up is, um, listen, if, you're coming to practice as an athlete and um, you're inconsistent or you're consistent in your attendance of practice and you're consistent in your completion of, you know, what we've designed as training during practice, then you're going to get skill instruction. So the idea that skill instruction I even almost started to frame it negatively. Skill instruction is not something going to be taken away if you mess up, but that skill instruction is something that you will get if you're fulfilling the sort of basic expectations of the group. And, and frankly, we'd sort of done the math on the other end. We knew what 
people were paying to be part of the group. We knew how many hours of training we were offering a year. And I think when we broke it down, it was something like $5 per practice that people were paying to be there. And on that end, I, I would always say to my assistant coaches, for there to be a, a designed coached workout, $5 is cheap, right? They're like people yeah. are getting a great value. And I, I was not apologetic about telling parents like, hey, you, you know, like you're going to be greeted with a smile, positive attitude, coaches happy to see you, and you're going to get a great, great training, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, if you happen to take advantage of that great training, you show up consistently, you do the training consistently, guess what? You're going to get even more. And that is um, skill instruction. So setting up some of the stuff that you want to do, right? Like I, I want to show up to every practice and and teach people how to swim. I think if, if people have been listening to this podcast and the, the rapt interest I have, especially like even earlier when you're talking about stuff, like that's what I want to show up and do. But the idea being that I'm not sort of mortgaging um, the stuff that I want to do on the front end and then hoping that everybody else will pay me back, um, but actually getting them to meet me uh, one-to-one and, um, and setting that expectation from the, the very beginning, um, I found it created more and more kids and families who not only understood what was going on, but, but like wanted to do that because they're like, well, I, you know, I see it, I see how it works now. Um, and, and they would follow that. So you have a smirk on your face as I'm, <laughs> I, I, well, I was thinking telltale Joel well, no. Rowling Sirk. <laughs> the the, uh, the the point I stopped listening was when you when you said how excited you are about swimming, like even when you're explaining it. So I like okay, even when I'm explaining. So so normally I kill it for everyone, but you even my inane <laughs> dribble is enough that you're actually interested in. So no, I appreciate that. I do. So I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I didn't mean it that smirk, way. Throw you off track. Sure, sure. So this is that communication that you're talking about. I understand now. Okay. Nobody's perfect, Joel. You know, I, uh, I can only manage so much positive communication that I break, you know? Yeah. Um, there's only so much pseudo positivity I can give towards you is what I've read into that now. So luckily this is stamp at the moment where Chris lost me. Right. That's all right though. No, that's good. I think hey. those are all really good points. And I think that really sets up again, when you, when you distill a lot of that out, it's just taking that extra time at the beginning to lay out the expectations, whatever it has. And I think that's where a lot of, we've talked about it again, where, where people get burnt out is the times where I felt the most tired is like when my expectations, I think started to exceed what the expectations might've been of an individual. And, and that's when you start getting frustrated. Like, why aren't you X, Y, and Z? And then it's, well, they never realized that this was the expectation. And so it was pretty unfair mid season to start throwing an expectation at them. Like, you know, we have to do more. It's like I already thought I was doing the maximum. In, in fact, I have exceeded that. And I think that's, again, boils down to a lot of the conflict that we've seen in coaching is the idea that this basic framework, and that's all it is, is it's not magic. It's just basic framework of, you know, this is the group. Like you said, this is the group. This is the expectations. These are the coaches. This is what we expect of the coaches. And this is, and this is what you're going to get out of this group. And like you said, you boiled it down to here's the numbers even. You're going to get all of this. Because I think so many times we're trying to justify the the um, one season cost. Well, it looks big. 
well, when you break it down to one practice, it's not, you know, go to gymnastics, you know, go, go to some personal fitness group, some kickboxing or orange theory or something like that. Check out that difference. And again, I think right. sometimes parents don't stop and step back and go, you know, my, like you said, my, my child is being looked after by an expert, not a volunteer. My, my right. child is being cared for their future. And you were already talking about this. So we're going to Johns Hopkins and excited you are about that. And you don't even coach that person anymore. So really the relationship ended, yet you still really are in, in tune and care. That kind of a thing as a parent, I think when you point it out to them, they're like, here's my checkbook, just whatever number it is, just write it down. <laughs> right, right. That's what it should be. Um, um, I think that's a good place to bring us to a very important question that has been hanging on the minds of all the listeners of the podcast. And that is, Joel, have you gotten your Magic 5 goggles and what do you think i i did get them i i i really enjoy them a lot i've like started doing um open water swims i signed up for one of those uh insanely stupid swims i'm going to do later this summer and uh so it's, it's funny because I've, I've got my open water goggles and i call them the escalades because they just are so gigantic but they're pretty comfortable in my face but then if I, like, I, I go to swim practice, I'm wearing those. It's just, you know, go, go over to the end lane, dude. There's no way you're going to swim in this lane. That You look just ridiculous. We don't don't even wear a team cap because we don't want anyone associated with this. <laughs> These goggles I can wear, um, you know, open water. And I've, I've worn them in the pool a few times. Really good visibility and amazingly comfortable. I've been doing, like, the reverse thing. Like, I keep loosening the strap up to the point where I'm like, this has got to be too loose. They're going to yeah, fall Yeah, no right way, off. right. And they've, they've held. And so, again, I think originally when I looked at the price point, I was like, ah, you know, goggles. Ah, I'm used to like the Swedes, 255 bucks a pair. Right. And uh, it, they're, they're a lot more comfortable. Uh, the visibility is great. And actually, um, you know, not to not to sell too much on this. One of the the, the master swimmers I coach, uh, she's on television, a local news person. And she wears them all the time, she said, because she leaves there and she'll go to makeup and she doesn't have the raccoon eyes going on on screen right. you know, that that was really affecting her ability to kind of swim because she's like, she couldn't go work afterwards. And so she wears them and um, it, it just, it works out really good because they are so comfortable and they don't leave those marks and you can go back to work and not look like, what have you done? What heroin yeah. then did you just crawl out of? Yeah. 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 I mean, I got to be on zoom every day and I, I have that same thought every day. I don't know when this is going to wear off, but every day before I hop into the pool, and I put them on, I think, ah, these are way too loose. Like water's going to yeah, come yeah. in my eye. Like it just, you know, 30 years of there's no way you could wear goggles this loosely on your face and yeah. not be just like, you know, up to your eyeballs in water. But then they they never leak. So they're yeah. just they're just able to like, it's like they're barely resting on your face. Um, but we got a great deal for listeners of the podcast. Um, you can save some money off that uh, sticker price for a pair of Magic 5 goggles, and you actually support this podcast by doing so. So it's a win-win for everybody involved. It's a win for listeners. It's a win for, for Joel and I. Um, and that is if you go to themagic5.com slash the swim brief, uh, you get 15% off. You contribute to this podcast. We really appreciate you guys um, doing that. For more bite-sized positive psychology content you can go to christy underscore coach on instagram uh cd swim coach on facebook 
You can follow the YouTube, uh, Christopher DeSantis YouTube page where these podcasts are uploaded. Um, you can also listen to uh, the other, the, the Tuesday pod uh, usually is one that, that I record where I just have some positive psychology based content in there. Um, I've got a class that I uh, talked a lot about on this ongoing right now. I'm having so much fun teaching this class. I'm already starting to get interest in a second one. So if you're interested in that, please reach out. Um, or there's actually a sign up link on my website for that second run of um, the first class in, in positive psychology. And um, gosh, should I miss any plugs, Joel, or did I, did I make it through all of them? I think you did great. I think I did great too. You did great. And I appreciate you. Um, extra long one for the, for the fans this week. Um, and uh, we'll, well, we, I wonder if we will be back next week. I'll be on vacation. We'll figure out some solution. I think I've banked some podcasts ahead of time right. that I, I'll be able to pull out of the archive for this. Um, so maybe a couple of weeks until I see you again, Joel, but, uh, until then, thanks. And, uh, everybody else. Goodbye. Thank you.